Hey everyone and welcome to Ask Shane Anything, the first installment of Ask Shane Anything for 2023. A big thanks to everyone who pledges at $7 or more per month, which makes this show possible. Now, we generally take questions from only those who pledge at that amount, but we still have some questions from the last round, which we accepted from anyone. So we'll be asking for new questions for the next round very soon, but for now, let's get to the good ones we already have. Our first question comes from Patreon, from Christian Villegas. What's your ideal retirement plan? Why didn't you go into game development and publishing? Was there a time where you were considering it? If you had gone into game development or publishing, which company would you have liked to work for? Have you traveled extensively in California for leisure? What have been your favorite parts of California to see or visit? Okay, Christian, lots of questions there. Um, Let's see, my ideal retirement would be to be able to make enough money running Sifted to retire. (laughs) Uh, When I built Sifted and launched Sifted, the idea was that I was going to create a business that I could operate until I was ready to retire. Like a lot of things in life, things don't always work out the way that you expect. So as we sit right now, that's probably not feasible with the amount of money that we're making, unfortunately. Um, But ideally, my dream would be to continue working in game media, game journalism, whatever, uh, until I'm ready to retire. This is what I've wanted to do, Um, which kind of leads into your next question, which is, Have I ever wanted to work for the publishers or developers? Now, I'll say this. When I first started um, at GameSpot back in 2000, I think I probably thought to myself that if that opportunity ever presented itself, that I would be interested. But as I worked in the industry and spent more time around the people who make the games and the publishers, the PR people, interviewing developers for years and years, I quickly realized that... I didn't want to really make games because I'll be honest with you. And part of it is just the way the marketing schedule used to work. Typically you'd meet with developers when the game is wrapping up or when the game is already finished and you would meet them at like a review event or whatever. And sometimes they were on hand to give you help if you got stuck in a certain part of the game and just to make sure that the game isn't broken a week before it goes out to uh, everyone else for sale. So I always had access to those people at the end of the development cycle. And almost every time, the people were just, I wouldn't say they were miserable, but they just weren't happy. They always seemed like they were just barely dragging themselves across the finish line to finish the game. And after you do that for years and years, you talk to these people who are just like, give me another drink, man. Oh my gosh, these last three years have been hell. It kind of pushes you away from working in the industry. But I'll say this now, I regret it. Because I had a huge, I had huge opportunities to work at developers or publishers back when I was doing all these interviews, you know, you'd hang out with people after the work was over. And a lot of times they'd pitch you like, hey, would you be interested in coming across the lines and working with us? And I would say no. And now because the way things have changed, particularly with COVID, you're not seeing developers as much as you did in the past. A lot of those contacts have kind of dried up. I mean, I'm still friends with them and I interact with them on Facebook and things like that. But professionally, the contacts aren't as strong as they used to be. So now let's go back to, you know, going to school to get a degree in journalism, wanting to be a games journalist while I was in college and then being very fortunate, honestly, and lucky enough to be able to do it. Um, It's going away. (laughs) It is just going away. You've seen it with all the recent layoffs at some of the big gaming websites. Um... 
it's a shame. It's really a shame. It's not just games journalism that's going away. It's all journalism. Everything is just getting <sighs> diluted. Um, I've I've been on this rant before talking about how with no editorial oversight, things can go wrong. I don't want to get on that again. But but everything, let's just be honest, everything is going away from official publications and everything is going to like influencers and stuff like that. So um, it was probably a, not a great career choice, but who would have thought that you know, 20 some years after you graduate from college, that your entire profession is going away. And again, that's not just games. Sports journalism suffering the same fate. A lot of these big sports websites like Vox just killed a bunch of its sports coverage because there's just no audience. It's it's tough. Journalism is tough. And we need journalism. I'm not specifically talking about games journalism so much as I'm talking about journalism in general. We need real journalists to keep people honest. Literally, the threat of being exposed by the press is what keeps a lot of bad people from doing bad stuff. And so if the press goes away, it's bad. It's really, really bad. But look, we can't, there's nothing we can do to really change your behavior, to keep you from going to influencers and people who really have no qualifications and no professional experience and never had a mentor to teach them how to do stuff. We can't keep you from going to those people. You're going to go to the people you want to go to, and that's that. And I think that's the hard lesson that a lot of people are learning. So um, I never had an interest in jumping across the line, but now I am certainly open to the idea because... What matters more to me than anything is staying in this industry that I'm so passionate about and that I love so much, and that it honestly has been so good to me. So that's the number one thing. If it ends up being that I can't be a journalist and I have to do something else in gaming, I'm okay with that. And that is something that has changed over the last couple of years as COVID has completely destroyed our revenue stream. So uh, yeah, I guess I would say at first I wasn't interested in it. Now I am um, because I think working at a publisher or a developer is a more sustainable job and has a better and brighter future. So that's what I would say. As far as California, places to visit, the whole state is amazing. San Diego, Los Angeles, San Francisco, go to any of those cities. They're all incredible. In between, drive on Route 1 and go to Monterey and Carmel and all those places along the Pacific Ocean that are just gorgeous. Go to Yosemite, go to Big Bear Mountain, summer or winter. It doesn't matter. It's awesome up there. It, it's California is the only state where you can surf, drive, I'm not exaggerating, drive 60 minutes, and snowboard. Our next question comes from Patreon from Mark Montana. Any non-gaming favorites from the past year in film, TV, or music? Yes, <laughs> I am a an avid pop culture consumer, so I am always trying to discover new art, new music, new TV, new film, whatever. Um, this year for music, I would argue, is a little light I struggled to find a lot of albums that I really resonated with this year, um, but there were a few. Um, the first thing I would say is a band called Cannons. They have an album called Fever Dream. Um, they're an indie band. It's hard to really describe them. Some of their best music actually has been covers of some other artists, but their album's really good from start to finish. Lead singer, really attractive. That doesn't hurt either. Um, next up is a band called Metric, and their album is called Art of Doubt. Uh, that's another album that became an earworm for me. Female vocalist, indie-ish, a little more poppy, a little more electronic, um, where I would, well, I don't know, that's not true. Cannons are pretty, have a lot of electronic elements too, which is kind of in my wheelhouse, like indie with a little bit of electronic, that's what I really like. Uh, so those two albums are great. My favorite album, though, in Way Underground, nobody knows about it, is from a band called The Asteroid Number 4. 
Um, their album is called Tones of the Sparrow, and they're more guitar-heavy, less electronic, but just really, really good, intense indie stuff. Um, there are five or six songs on that album that I just listen to on repeat. Uh, way underground, though. If you uh, if you listen to the Asteroid Number Four, you are going to get some indie cred. Most people will have never heard of the band, but again, my favorite album from last year, the Asteroid Number Four, Tones of the Sparrow. Another great album from last year was the Beach House album, Once Twice Melody. Um, it was a double album, and it had a lot of great songs on it. And I'm a huge fan of Beach House. They're like downbeat, almost like ambient. I don't know how to ex- completely explain them, but they're really mellow. Um, and typically their albums have bangers from beginning to end, and saying banger is maybe a little weird, because their music's, again, really mellow, but they'll have four or five great songs on each one. This album is a double album, and it still has the four or five really good songs, but then there are 13 other songs, and honestly, the album, I don't think they should release it as a double album, because it's just all too similar, and it all kind of bleeds together. There's not enough peaks and valleys in the album to differentiate each song, so it was good, but... They probably should have held some of the songs for another album and released those, like, a couple years later. It was just too much of the same thing, I guess is a good way to put it. Um, also, Yeah, 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 typically one of my favorite bands. I've seen them live five or six times throughout my life. They're great live. Go see them if you can. Their new album, Cool It Down, disappointing. I'll be honest with you. Uh, and here's the thing about bands. Generally, their first two albums are great. And they'll, you know, their first album's always great because it's taken them eight years to finally make their first album. So it's all the best songs from like eight years. But then it becomes more difficult. And usually if a good band, the sophomore album will be better than the first um, because they've kind of mastered their craft. They're better at songwriting. And then after the third album and beyond with most bands, they're just hoping to have like one or two good songs that they can add to their live set going forward. And that is where the yeah, yeah, yeahs are at this point. That each album has like, one or two really good songs, and the rest are kind of whatever, but those one or two songs end up being added to their live set list for years and years to come. That was the case with the new Yeah Yeah Yeah's album. Again, disappointing because I am a big fan. Um, and then another album I was pretty disappointed in is Arcade Fire's We. Also a big fan of this band. I have loved them since literally I think at G4 is when they first launched, when I was working at G4. And everybody there loved them, and they became this thing. And we all went out to see them together one night. Everyone at G4 went to see Arcade Fire, and they were amazing live. But their new album is just <laughs> completely forgettable. And the sad part is, it's their last album. And it just, it, a, a little bit like Beach House, all the songs kind of sound the same. They all kind of bleed together, and there's just not one stunner on the whole album. So I was disappointed in that album, too. But overall mediocre year for music um let's talk about tv another great year for tv it is truly the golden age of television there's no denying it um and or no brainer best star wars since rogue one for me probably and oddly enough they kind of tie into each other well they all they all tie into each other i thought Andor was great my one criticism of Andor: not enough action not quite enough action um it's really just a drama, a sci-fi drama. Um, instead of being kind of like an action-driven film like a lot of the Star Wars stuff is, I thought it there was it dragged a little bit here and there. Still great, and probably my favorite show of 2022, but not perfect. They can definitely improve for the second season. Um, also, Stranger Things Season 4. I won't waste too much time talking about that. Everybody watched it because everyone's a Stranger Things fan. Um, 
I thought it was good. We talked about it on Game Face. I thought it was good. Not amazing, but still good enough for me to be excited for the next season of Stranger Things whenever that happens. Um, I just recently watched, over the holidays, a new series called Wednesday on Netflix, which is like this weird Harry Potter-ish spinoff of the Addams Family that just focuses on Wednesday, the, the young goth daughter. Um, that got me through the season. It wasn't great, but I made it through the season, and I'm kind of excited for season two. Uh, that's one that's more recent. Um, and also, I am someone who stuck with The Walking Dead all the way to the end last year. I, I am one of the few people who stuck with that series from the first episode all the way to the last. Now, I'll admit this. The last couple seasons, I didn't watch the shows live. I'd get them on DVR and watch them, like, weeks later. In fact, I didn't watch the final season of The Walking Dead until over the holidays. It had already been over for, like, a month or something like that. It did not end well. In fact, the last three three seasons just kind of meandered and were not great at all. So I was disappointed in how they wrapped up The Walking Dead. And then another show that I got into last year that I didn't pay attention for the first season is Euphoria. I started watching season two and then realized, okay, this is pretty good. And I then went back and started watching from the first episode and watched the whole thing. I felt a little old watching it at times. I couldn't relate to some parts of it because it all it is all about like teenagers or whatever and Gen Z and whatnot. Really good show, really well shot, really well acted. Still didn't resonate with me 100% of the time, but something we're checking out if you're a little bit younger than me, maybe. Um, and let's see, for TV, oh, Ozark. Ozark season four. Incredible. Also, between Ozark and Andor, that's a tough one. Um, I would just, I'll just say it's a tie. They're both great. Uh, and then finally, movies. I honestly do not go to movies hardly at all anymore. Generally, I end up watching them. I'll pay to stream them a few months after they come out, or I'll end up watching them on flights. <laughs> um, and so I catch up a lot of times on long flights on movies that I haven't had a chance to go to the theater and see. I just don't feel like it's worth it to go to the theater and spend all that money anymore. Uh, but here's some movies that I did end up seeing. Um, I love Top Gun Maverick like everybody. I was shocked that I loved it. I was a fan of Top Gun back in the 80s, but I was like a kid, little kid. Um, so, of course, I'm going to love it. But I was really shocked that I enjoyed the new one. Like, it really is that good. Um, I think a lot of people maybe didn't want to believe that it was that good. But it is that good. It is just a great film. It kind of whisks you away to this other world for a while. Makes you forget your problems. I think that's why a lot of people liked it. So, I thought that was good. Barbarian is like a horror movie about... Um, this woman who rents an Airbnb and she gets there and there's already somebody else in the Airbnb and she decides like, okay, well, we'll make it work and we'll both stay here. That's all I'm going to say. I think that was a little overrated. It's Metacritic. It's um, Rotten Tomatoes rating is like way too high, I think, but it was still watchable. I did manage to watch it all the way to the end. Uh, what other movies did I even see that were from 2022? Oh, The Northman. I ended up catching that on a flight, had no interest in really seeing it. It turns out it was really good. I was riveted by that movie and, you know, glued to it. And in fact, towards the end, there was turbulence and they turned on like the, the, the loudspeaker and it cut out for like five minutes of the most important part of the movie. I'll never forget that. I had to go back and like rent it and watch that part again because it was integral to the plot. That was a little weird. But I, I was surprisingly really liked The Northman. And then one movie that everyone seemed to like, and it did really well critically, that I couldn't stand was Guillermo del Toro's uh, Pinocchio. I just, there was something about it that was off-putting to me. I know it's going to win all these awards and blah, blah, blah. It just didn't resonate with me. So anyway, that for me was pop culture in 2022. Next up, we have a question from Sifted from The Sandman. Hey, Shane, I wanted to ask you about financial transactions on Twitch. I'm based in the UK and watch your show live. During the show, there are hype trains, bits, etc., 
Do you think this dumbs down financial transactions, especially for young viewers? I'm not signaling out Sifted. It's a general Twitch-centric question. What's your take on it? So I think what the Sandman is saying here is that it's trivializing money and not putting money into perspective for younger people. Now, the people who show up for our streams, they're not young. They're generally 30s, 40s, something like that. Um, so we don't have to really worry about that. By then, most people have understood the value of money and what a dollar means. But to your point, I, I would argue more than Twitch, games like Fortnite, to me, are more guilty of trivializing currency to young kids because they don't see it anymore as like, okay, you worked this amount of time, you earned this many dollars, now you need to spend those dollars on something. They're V-Bucks. They're, to kids, they're these things that come on these plastic cards that they're given at Christmas. And yes, I would argue that it does kind of camouflage the concept of the cost of goods for young people. And you need to learn that. It takes a while when you're growing up to figure out what money means, how money works, that type of thing. So yes, I, I guess they're trivializing it. I mean, I don't know. It, it is kind of camouflaging currency, I guess, for a younger generation. And eventually they're going to have to learn it, and they will learn it because either they learn it or they're going to die. Um, but yeah, I would agree that maybe it's stunting their development in that way maybe a little bit um, because it just feels like funny money when you're spending V-Bucks or whatever other currency is named in any other game because every game has its own catchy little name for currency. It doesn't just say dollars or whatever, yen or euro or whatever. Um, so yeah, I could see, I could see that and you're probably right. Maybe Twitch and some of these services should change the verbiage that they use for currency in their game so kids get to understand it at a, year, a younger age. But ultimately, these are private companies. They can do what they want. Um, and so I, I, I tend to not want to tell a company what to do or not to do, particularly if they're a private company. Uh, but yes, I could see where, in some cases, camouflaging this currency could be detrimental to the development of our youth. Our next question comes from Sifted from Joaquin Dragoon. If you could buy only four games in 2023, what would they be? Do you have any regrets deciding to go into games journalism? Has there been any event in particular that made you rethink your career choice? Okay, so kind of a repetitive question from earlier, or maybe I just expanded too much on the earlier question. Uh, but first of all, the four games that I would buy in 2023 if I could only buy four. First of all, The Legend of Zelda Tears of the Kingdom. We just got another trailer for that here over the last couple days. Um, I suppose a little bit more of the plot is still, we still don't know a whole heck of a lot about what the game's about. I'm sure there are Zelda sleuths out there who are like, what are you talking about? If you freeze this frame in this trailer, then you can see that there's this and blah, 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 blah. The average person has no clue what really the story is about still in this game. Um, they did show some new mechanics. It looks like you can build your own, like, airships and stuff. Uh, there's more building, it looks like. And it looks like a lot of the things that players jimmied to make work in the in Breath of the Wild is just now a part of the game in Tears of the Kingdom. Uh, so it, look, it's a 3D Zelda. It's one of my favorite franchises. I'm definitely excited for that. Next up, Starfield, uh, the next open world action RPG from Bethesda. Brand new franchise. Generally, I think most people, you can assume, it is going to be the Elder Scrolls in space. Uh, but it does seem to be more than that. It looks like it's going to be kind of the No Man's Sky that everybody wanted at first. 
Um, a little bit more story and narrative driven than No Man's Sky, more goals and things like that than No Man's Sky, not quite as freeform, but still includes some of the fun stuff like the exploration and all the planets and the buildings of the ships and all that kind of stuff. I think it's going to be a big hit. I'm excited for it. Hopefully it's not a buggy mess. That's my big fear. My third must-have game for 2023 is the Resident Evil 4 Remake. Resident Evil 4 is one of my favorite games of all time. Remaking that game is a no-brainer for me to get on board. I am very excited for it. Some of the coverage we've seen from Game Informer already for their cover story has been encouraging. I think the game looks hot. I'm really excited for it. Now, the fourth game is the tough one. I have a few games that could fill that slot, and I guess I'm going to decide which one right here. So there's Star Wars Jedi Survivor which is the Metroidvania coming from Respawn and Stig, who used to work on the God of War games. So that's one that I'm really excited for. It's also coming very soon. Um, there's Marvel's Spider-Man 2 from Insomniac, the follow-up to the first Marvel, Marvel Spider-Man, which was a, probably the best superhero game ever made. Here comes the sequel. It's Insomniac. Going to be bigger and better, no doubt about it. Going to have clean code. Going to be a good game. And then finally, my third option for my fourth slot is Assassin's Creed Mirage, because there's just so much mystery behind it. They, they're saying it's going to be a smaller, more controlled experience. It's going to go back to the series roots, focusing on being an assassin. If they do all that, it could be, for me, one of the best games of the year. So those are the three games that I'm deciding on for my fourth must-play game. And if I had to pick one of those three... Probably Spider-Man 2. And the reason I say that is because I trust... Insomniac. <laughs> Insomniac has just never led me astray. They always make high-quality games, and I really like the first Spider-Man, so that is the safest bet of the three, uh, so I guess I'll pick that. Uh, your last question, do I regret going into games journalism? A little bit, um, because it's going away. <laughs> like my, my vocation I've worked on my entire life and I went to school for is disappearing right before my eyes. There are so few jobs now in the United States, working in games journalism. It's it's insane how much that number has dwindled just from 10 years ago. It's probably been cut from, I don't know, down to like 30, 40% left compared to what how many jobs there were back in 2010, 2012, 2013, that, that era. Maybe even worse. So a little bit, yeah, I regret it. I never dreamed that covering video games, which at the time were this technology, this new thing that was just breaking it was finally breaking into the mainstream back in 2000. Like, it wasn't this nerdy thing that I did and some of my friends did. It was what something everyone started doing. It was, at the time, it was a good decision because it did blow up. And I was there to ride that wave, but now I'm still in the water and the waves have stopped coming in. And now I'm worried about a riptide sucking me back out to sea. Um, so, you know, back then, the decision was go into games journalism or go into sports journalism. And while sports journalism is also in danger... It's way more stable. And the reason that is, is think about it. Do you know of any sports influencers? There's no PewDiePie of sports. There aren't sports influencers. Why? It just doesn't work as well as it does for gaming. I would also argue that generally sports fans are older and they can kind of see through BS. Um, and so they're less likely to be lured in by influencers who may or may not be as knowledgeable as the pros. Um, but there was no way of seeing that back when I graduated from college. It was just impossible to see. To me, sports was something that was going to be there and be big, but always be there. More competition to get jobs, obviously. More people were doing it. To me, gaming was had the trajectory going up. 
and things just haven't worked out that way. Here we are 20-some years later, and things have not worked out that way. So do I regret going into games journalism? It's hard to say I regret it because it's been awesome. You know, I'm very lucky to have worked in this industry for 20-plus years. It's just not many people have been able to do it. So I don't regret the time. I don't regret the people that I've met, the contacts I've made. I don't regret getting to know all you guys. All that is awesome. But, you know, financial longevity, financial security... Uh, from that perspective, it was a mistake. Okay, our final question today comes from Patreon from Garrick. We all know how much of a fan of horror movies and games you are. I cannot remember if you have ever told us if you are a fan of sci-fi. What is your favorite non-horror sci-fi book, movie, or video game? Well, I guess the first thing I will say is that I am not really a sci-fi fan um, I don't seek out sci-fi. So I'm not like Googling all the time, what's the best sci-fi movie coming out in 2023? What's the best sci-fi TV show coming out in 2023? I just kind of stumble upon really good sci-fi art and then I consume it because I am open to the idea of sci-fi. I'm obviously a gigantic Star Wars fan, but I don't like Star Trek. And the reason I don't like Star Trek is because it's just like, to me, Star Trek was the generic sci-fi. It is like, this is what the average person thinks the future is going to be like. There's going to be a holodeck, and there's going to be these zappers, and the, the costuming and everything about Star Trek, to me, it was like the Jetsons version of sci-fi. Just this lowest common denominator of what the future might be. So I was not a fan of Star Trek, but I love Star Wars. So I, you know, probably one of my biggest pop culture IP, or most important to me, is Star Wars, and that is sci-fi. So... Let's get that off the table f first. When I grew up, I watched this TV show, reruns of this old TV show called Lost in Space. So I've enjoyed sci-fi for a long time, but it's not this thing that I really seek out and try to find the best of. Now, with that said, um, I already mentioned some of the films and stuff that I like, the TV shows I like from sci-fi. As far as books are concerned, I read the classics. So books like um, like 1984, um, Brave New World, things like that. I don't read, like, the new sci-fi. Like, I don't read graphic novels about Halo and stuff like that. Again, I rely on people who really love sci-fi to kind of turn me on to the stuff that's really worth checking out. But I'll wait for that to be turned into a TV show or a movie versus going back and reading the books. So as far as sci-fi books go, I read the classics, and that's pretty much it. Um, let's see. Naming my favorite sci-fi video game is almost impossible. Um... It's tough to draw the line with games between sci-fi and horror because they get mixed up and it's like, so what is the difference? It's like science fiction, for example, science creates the aliens. It's science fiction, but it's also a horror movie. Like, and if you get into games, it's kind of the same thing. It's like, I guess a lot of it depends on what you're actually doing. I think a lot of people would say, well, horror games are survival horror, but I don't think that's fair at all. Like, I don't think a game has to be survival horror to be a horror game. So I think the lines are a little tough there, but generally... For me, I think games that are franchises that fall within the traditional delineation of sci-fi, probably my favorite is Bioshock. It's a first-person game. I enjoy playing in the first person, but it's not purely a first-person shooter. There's a lot of mystery. The stories are generally good. The production values are good. The settings are always interesting. The characters are always interesting. It always has this kind of 1940s-style look to it, which, for whatever reason, is intriguing to me. I don't know why. Uh, so I guess Bioshock would be my favorite. And then... Coming in behind Bioshock would be probably Half-Life 
would be second. And again, just the world building in the Half-Life universe is what's really intriguing to me, just like Bioshock. And even though Bioshock generally has a different setting every time, there's always something worth discovering. And I feel like Half-Life's universe is like that as well. Again, another first-person game. And then probably right after that, it would be Mass Effect. Um more RPG-driven than the other two franchises, and I do enjoy action RPGs, and it always, has always been an action RPG, and obviously the stories and the writing inside the Mass Effect universe have been top-notch. So those are probably the three sci-fi gaming franchises that resonate with me the most. All right, that's it for Ask Shane Anything. Thanks again to everyone who asked great questions. Look for a call for new questions coming up very soon. We'll be doing more episodes of Ask Shane Anything in the very near future. Again, um, this show, we give you a big thanks for those of you who pledge at $7 or more per month because that's what makes this show happen. Um, you guys get priority in asking questions, but everyone always gets to watch the show. We appreciate everyone's support here on our Patreon. Thank you very much. Have a good one.